the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Mark. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. It was early, he was alone, and it was a long time. I don't want to get legalistic about it. I just, I want to be as challenged about this as much as I hope you are. That we need to be disciplined, follow the model of Jesus. I think you can pray anytime. But I just see the way he wanted to set his day right. There's something to be said about early morning prayer. I mean, just in terms of its practicality, if nothing else. To start your day in prayer will help the day go better. One thing Jesus did often during his ministry was get away with his heavenly Father. He spent time in prayer, soaking in the love and presence of God before stepping out to tackle the day. Pastor Gary will be encouraging you today to take a cue from the Savior of the world and spend time regularly with God. Pray and read the Word, listen for direction from your heavenly Father, and let it fuel your day. God provides the greatest strength and comfort for all circumstances. So lean into that each day. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Mark, chapter 1, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Jesus went into the galley, proclaiming the good news, and he says, the time has come. The time has come. Now, in the Greek language, which is the original language of the New Testament, there are two words for time. Chronos, which is where we get our English word chronology, the study of time. And then there's kairos, K-A-I-R-O-S. The word that Jesus uses is kairos. And it means, not in terms of chronological time, but kairos is a word that means a strategic time. There is now a divine appointed time for his ministry to begin. And he says here, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. That word repent in the Greek is metanoeo, and it means to change the mind. Repentance is a willful decision that you will change your mind and turn towards God. What does it mean to change your mind? Why is that important? What does repentance really mean? Well, you see, at the center of every human heart is a self-centered view of the world. Most people who don't know God believe themselves to be the center of their life. But when you repent, it means you acknowledge that God needs to be the center of your life. And you put God on the throne and you turn from the way that you've been living and the direction you've been going and you turn towards God and you take self off the throne, you put God on the throne and now the direction of your life is completely guided and governed under the Lordship of Jesus. That's what repentance is all about. It's not just, I feel bad about what I did. 
It is turning from what you did and going the opposite direction to following after the Lord and asking him to forgive you of your sins. That's what repentance is. The tragedy today is that in some churches, repentance is no longer really preached. That you only get half of the gospel. You get the good news, Jesus loves you. You get the good news about how God you know, uh, wants to provide for you and care for you and, and minister to you and touch you and heal you and all this kind of stuff. But if you don't give the other aspect of the gospel, which is that man is born into sin, mankind is on a wrong path, on a path of destruction that results eventually in hell when we die, and that what we need to do is turn from our sin and turn towards God and make Him Lord through faith in Jesus Christ and what He did on the cross. That is repentance, and if that part is not preached, it is a horrible disservice, because otherwise then it makes people feel comfortable and cozy in their own sinfulness and not even aware that they're on the wrong path. And what Jesus came to do was to preach repentance because he didn't want people just to be well-fed, cared for, healed, raised from the dead, blind seeing, and, and the deaf hearing, though he did those things. But his ministry was about the kingdom of God, that God needs to be king. Repentance is turning from your sinful ways and turning towards God and having faith in Jesus. And he was not content because he didn't want people to die in their sin and simply be healed physically. He wanted people to experience a spiritual healing for eternity's sake. And that's the importance even today. And sadly, it is lacking in some of our pulpits where repentance is no longer preached. Why? We don't want to offend people. The truth is offensive. If you've never been offended by the gospel, you've never read it. But it is offensive intentionally because it should startle us into the reality of our own fallen nature that we come to grips with the depravity of our own human heart and realize that on our own, we are doomed to destruction. But through Jesus, we can be saved, forgiven, cleansed, made new, born again, transformed. And God has a desire for every single one of you to know his saving grace, his love for you, that he dies on a cross to purchase you from sin and death that you might be saved. But it requires repentance, that people turn from their sinful ways and the path that they are on and turn towards God. And when you do that, you're no longer offended. (laughs) You're relieved. You're grateful. You're glad and thankful. It's only initially offensive because it's offensive when people tell us that you're on the course of destruction and your life is, is a mess. You don't like to hear that. Just stroke me, make me feel good. I want to know that I'm a good person and you're okay and I'm okay. Mm-hmm. No, you're a sinner, I'm a sinner. Aren't you glad we're all sinners and Jesus died for sinners? Well, verse 16, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, that's Peter, and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once, there's that phrase that Mark likes, at once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. That's interesting little tidbit of information, the hired men, means that Zebedee was probably a wealthy man. If he could afford to hire men in those days, he probably was wealthy. So it's an indication that James and John probably were very well off growing up in a well-to-do family, and uh, they left it to follow Jesus. 
Verse 21 says, And then they went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Which, what does that say about the teachers of the law? And just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Now let's back up here. Verse 21 says they come to Capernaum. Again, this is uh, the main uh, place where Jesus, uh, kind of the home base of his public ministry. It's from the words Kafarnahum, meaning town of Nahum. Probably the prophet Nahum grew up there or was born there perhaps. Located right on the Sea of Galilee. It's... uh, um, you know, a beautiful, very beautiful location right on the northern tip of the, of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, it tells us that it's Sabbath, so this is Saturday, uh, because the Sabbath uh, begins and has always been uh, sundown Friday night to sundown Saturday night. Uh, our Sabbath that we have uh, in mainstream Protestantism is a Sunday Sabbath only because we perpetuate the day of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So it's not a day, uh, but it is um, God provided for us that we would have a time of rest. And But strictly speaking, this is Saturday. Jesus comes into the synagogue there in Capernaum. Uh, Jesus goes in. He teaches there in the synagogue. And in the middle of the church service, a man who's possessed by a demon, by an evil spirit, uh, cries out. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Isn't it interesting how the demons know? They just don't submit. And um, so this demon cries out. Uh, Jesus rebukes the demon, be quiet. Uh, Casts the demon out of the man, come out of him. Uh, The evil spirit shook the man violently and then came out of him with a shriek. So this guy's demon-possessed. Look, this is not Hollywood, this is real. People can be possessed by one or more demons. I don't believe when you look at the, what Scripture teaches that Christians who have received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and you now have the Lord within you, I don't believe then when you look at how Scripture teaches the life of a born-again believer that a born-again believer can be possessed by demons. God does not share the same space with demons, okay? You, you cannot confess that Jesus is Lord and still be possessed by a demon. Uh, John tells us that in 1 John. Uh, and so uh, what, we, what we understand, though, is that people can be, still today, possessed uh, by demons. And it is when an evil spirit comes in a person and uh, then can manipulate a person, speak through a person. And in this case, uh, you see it right here. Uh, Jesus delivers this guy, and there's still deliverance for people today who have, who have been possessed by demons. I, um, I don't like giving Satan or demons more time or attention than, than they need, other than just kind of teaching through a passage like this. But uh, you know, I, I could tell you, I won't take the time to tell you, but just a few different stories uh, in the course of my own ministry where you know, I've, I've seen people literally delivered from demons. It's a real thing. 
um, but greater is he, the Lord, in us than he that is in the world. And, uh, and people can still be delivered and set free from this kind of demonic... I, I, you know, don't, look, don't go to, your, to, to work tomorrow and think, I think my boss is possessed. I, you know, it's not, like, it's not like everybody who's mean must be possessed or everybody that you don't like is possessed or, you know, it's, don't, don't, don't go taking this. To, I, don't, I, don't, I think it's kind of rare, uh, but it certainly is still real. Uh, nothing to be feared, but something to be reckoned with in a serious way. And... Um, and so here's a guy who gets delivered in the middle of church. <laughs> the news about Jesus spread throughout the whole region. Verse 29. And as soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. And they're still there in Capernaum. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. So notice how Mark just dives right into the ministry of Jesus. We're seeing now a couple of miracles here. Uh, He's already delivered this guy from a demon. He goes to the home of Simon Peter. His mother-in-law is sick with a fever, and uh, he heals her. She gets up. She does what what a wonderful mother-in-law does. She starts to wait on them and serve them and uh, just... uh, She's better now, so she's going to get him coffee and hummus and all this good stuff. And so, verse 32, that evening after sunset. So it's the same day, so it's Sabbath, but now it's after sunset. So Sabbath is over. Sabbath is now officially over. And so then it says that the people brought to Jesus all, all the sick and demon-possessed. It doesn't say how many that is, but all seems like a lot, okay, when you're there in Capernaum. And it says that the whole town gathered, the, gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. See, Jesus, Jesus was trying to temper the, the, the identity of himself in his fullness because he was on a divine timetable and he didn't want to be exposed prematurely before his whole ministry had effectively taken place. That's the reason why he commands them, don't go around saying who I am uh, because he he wants to be careful to reveal himself on, on a divine timetable here. But imagine this now. Sabbath is over. It's after sunset. So seven o'clock maybe, eight o'clock, who knows? Whole, the whole town, everybody gathers at, at Simon Peter's house. I must have loved that. And uh, everybody's there, and all of the sick and all of the demon-possessed are, are coming there to Jesus for him to heal them, and he does, and he drives out demons. But now notice verse 35, because on the heels of that, verse 35 says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. That is very, very challenging to me because can you imagine how much you would be tired and spent after a whole night ministering to people, healing people, you know, casting out demons, and is it fair to say that Jesus would feel tired and spent? Of course, because though he's fully God, he's fully man. So when he walks a long distance, he perspires. When he uh, works hard, he gets hungry. And when he's had a long day, he gets tired. But despite the fact that he has just now spent all night long ministering to people, healing the sick, casting out demons, no doubt probably praying with people and talking to people and just giving himself and pouring himself out, he doesn't enjoy the luxury 
of sleeping in the next morning. But instead, it says very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, went off to a solitary place, and prayed. I don't know about you, but there are times I don't want to get up early. And I don't want to get up early to pray. I want to sleep, and I want to enjoy uh, sleep, and I don't want to get up and pray. Now, don't judge me, because if you have a better story, then come tell me afterwards. But I can tell you that there are times, if we would all be honest, that we just don't want to be this disciplined. And I love the way, too, think about this. You have the whole town come into the house, and you just spend all night ministering to people. Boy, it would be easy to ride that wave of popularity, wouldn't it? It would just be like, oh, yes, I was the one that stayed up all night, took care of you, ministered to you, prayed with you. Isn't that wonderful? And he doesn't stay there to enjoy the popularity. He seeks solitary. He doesn't take time to enjoy the popularity. He seeks solitary. He got up while it was still dark. Everybody's asleep. He goes off to a solitary place where he prayed. It's very challenging in my own prayer life when I read this. What does your prayer life look like? Jesus gets up, solitary place where he prayed. And Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Now, this tells me three things, very three simple things about Jesus' prayer life. Number one, it was early. Number two, it was alone. Number three, it was for a long period of time. It was early because it says it was before sunrise while it was still dark. He went and went someplace alone where nobody could find him. And because it says they were searching for him for such a long time, it tells me it wasn't 15 minutes. It was a long time. It was early. He was alone. And it was a long time. I don't want to get legalistic about it. I just, I want to be as challenged about this as much as I hope you are. That we need to be disciplined, follow the model of Jesus. I think you can pray anytime. But I just see the way he wanted to set his day right. There's something to be said about early morning prayer. I mean, just in terms of its practicality, if nothing else. To start your day in prayer will help the day go better. Can anybody testify? You end your day in prayer, this is how it usually goes. You lay down at night, and you're in your bed, and you pray at night, and it's, dear Jesus, I just want (laughs) to... And then you're done, okay? So early morning prayer sets the stage for the day, makes it go better, get alone, find a solitary place. You might have to work on that, especially you with little ones, and and they're tiny, and they get up early. And what has to be done, find an alone place, a solitary place, early in the morning. And he also prayed whatever a long time is, but it was long enough that people came looking for him. It's not just these quick 15 minutes and I'm done. And he, he labored before the Father. And Jesus replied there, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. Notice that. Miracles were supplemental to the message. Okay? He, he performed miracles. He ministered to people. But that was supplemental to the preaching of the good news. He says, that is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. And a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, I love that word, filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately 
The leprosy left him and he was cured. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone. The same kind of a reason. He just wanted still to preserve his identity on the timeline of ministry. But go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, this guy who was healed, instead he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. And as a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. You have this touching story about this guy who's a leper. You see Jesus often ministering to, if you will, the outcasts of society because clearly lepers were considered outcasts. They were considered unclean. It was a communicable disease, not as easily contagious as we now know, uh, but at the time it was thought to be the dreaded disease because people would die from it. It started out with some red spots on your skin that would end up turning white. And then it would affect the nerve endings, starting with your extremities, your fingers, tips of your nose, your ears, your toes. And eventually it would lead to decay of flesh. And people would lose, you know, ears and noses and fingers uh, to this disease. Uh, And the causative organism was not discovered until, just relatively speaking, recently, 1873. For many centuries, it was an incurable disease. Until a doctor... G.A. Hansen discovered the causative bacteria. Now it's called Hansen's disease. Around the world today, there are 189,000 cases of leprosy that still exist, but now it can be treated with a cocktail of uh, a prescription medication. Uh, in the United States, there are still about 6,500 cases of leprosy. There are three in Leesburg. I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. I just wanted, to, I just wanted some of you to go, what? Oh, my goodness. Am I one? I've got this rashy patch right here. I might be. No. But now it is curable, and, uh, and yet at this time, it was not. So for this guy to be healed, what an incredible thing. And what I love here about Jesus, in, you could say a thousand and one things about what you love about Jesus, but one of the things that speaks to me so much at a, at a point like this, in this story, is how Jesus always touched the untouchable. He always touched the untouchable. There was no outcast with Jesus. There was no despised with Jesus. If you were a leper in this day, you lived in leper colonies. You were excluded from the rest of the population. You were quarantined. You had to cry out unclean wherever you went. You had to wear bells on your garments so that as you walked, people could hear the bells clanging and know to not get near you and to avoid you. Can you imagine how lonely you would feel? You've been shunned by everybody in that society. And Jesus does the unthinkable. He touches this man with leprosy. Are there people in your own life that you look at and you think to yourself, I don't want to be near them, and you shun them, you mistreat them? There are certain outcasts in our own society that are considered unclean or this or that, that people reject. And when you look at the life and ministry of Jesus, if there was one among many things to emulate, it would be always be real and tender and just personable with people the way that Jesus was, that he would reach out and touch this guy with leprosy in love and in healing grace, not only for his body, but for his soul. Don't look at people and think to yourself that you're any better than the next person because Jesus was always so tender that he ministered to the least of these, to the ones rejected by society. Jesus always reached out for. And may we do the same 
as we love people and minister to people in our own world today. Thanks for joining Pastor Gary today for this study in the Gospel of Mark on Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to hear this teaching again or explore additional messages, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc and click on Teachings. You can also download our mobile app. Find the On The Go link under the Teachings tab. Do you live in or near Leesburg, Virginia? If so, we invite you to join us for church at Cornerstone Chapel. We're meeting each Sunday in person at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m. We also meet on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Cornerstoneconnection.cc is the place to get all the information you need, along with directions to our campus. You can also see what's going on during the week and what Cornerstone Chapel offers in the way of small groups, youth ministry, and more. We'd love to meet you, but if you're not able to join us in person right now, that's okay. We're live streaming each Sunday and Wednesday service at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Our 11.45 a.m. service also offers interpreting for those who speak Spanish. If you have any questions for us, or if you'd like to share a prayer request, we'd be honored to talk with you. Send us an email at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's all we have time for today, but thanks for joining us to study the book of Mark. We hope you'll tune in again here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know